Just welcome everybody that's here today. I thought on this Mother's Day, this one-off and uh, day that maybe we could, we could take a look at an incredible woman from the Bible that wanted to be a mom, wanted desperately to be a mom. I think there's a, an innate desire that God puts in women uh, to be a mom. And, uh, you know, the Bible's full of incredible stories of amazing moms. I think about Jesus, his, his mom, Mary. You know, a lot of times we just associate her with Christmas, but Mary is uh, an incredible figure in the Bible. And um, I, I love one of my favorite mom moments is when um, she actually pushes Jesus into ministry. I don't know if you know that, but in John chapter 2, but this is before Jesus has kind of started, and uh, they're at a wedding and they run out of wine at the wedding. And uh, so Jesus' mom comes up to him and it was like, uh, and gets the servants there and they're like, hey, Jesus, um, it's your cue. It's time to do one of those things you do. And he was like, listen, woman, it's not my time. That's what it says, literally. Like, why are you, no. What and she was like, yeah, I remember that time when we were running out of milk. And you, uh, whew, I don't know what you did, but we had plenty of milk going around. We need you to do something like that to, right here. And and so in that moment, Jesus performed the very first miracle of his ministry where he turned some water into wine, and it only happened because of his mom. His mom pushed him into it. So um, I, I think there's incredible stories about mom. I want to share a story with you. If you've got your Bible, First Samuel. It's in the Old Testament. I'll give you a second to find it. Or if you're on an electronic device, it's a little bit easier. But in First, chapter, uh, first Samuel, we're going to look at chapter 1 is a story about a woman who wants nothing more than to be a mom. Her name's Hannah. How many of you have ever heard a story of Hannah? Raise your hand if you've heard. Okay. All right. Some of you. Some of you haven't. It's an incredible story of a woman who wants to be a mom so badly. She's married, and she cannot have children. In fact, you follow a lot of the stories in the Old Testament, you actually find that a lot of women that wanted nothing more than to be a child, but or nothing more than to have a child, but could not. And I was just thinking about, I could just trying to put myself in her frame of reference. Some of you know what that's like. Because some of you have struggled with infertility. And so some of you know the pain of that. And I'm just thinking that, I, I can only imagine every single month that she would hope, maybe this month, that it would happen only to be disappointed. I was thinking about that constant, like she had an appointment with disappointment every single month. And, and I, I know that's, that's her story, but can I just say, I think disappointment affects us all. We all have dealt with disappointments. We've all felt the pain of disappointment in this life. I know that every single person that is here today that's watching this, that there are some things maybe deep in the recesses of your soul that are just these ongoing disappointments because of things that did not happen. You have prayers that you prayed that God did not answer. You've got situations that you would hope for, but it did not come to pass, and it's left you with disappointment. Life can disappoint you. People can disappoint you. Maybe you just prayed and hoped that your parents wouldn't get a divorce, but they did anyways. Maybe you wanted so badly to get into this program, into this school, and you did not get in. And it changed the course of your life. I don't, I don't know what maybe your disappointment. Maybe you wanted her to say yes and marry you, but she felt otherwise. Maybe you were just praying that the surgery would finally take care of the, the problem, the sickness, and it did not. It just came back. I don't know what it is maybe in your life, 
But I know this, all of us have disappointments that we wrestle with. And there's pain that comes with disappointments. And when you look at Hannah's story, you, you see that, that she deals with this disappointment in a unique way. And so if you've got your Bible with you, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 1. It says this, now there was a certain man from uh, Ramathame, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. By the way, if you think it's easy to preach from the Old Testament, I'll get you up here and let you read some of this. You don't know how much I stress when I've got to read these names. I don't even know if I'm doing it right, but I just want to get it out. Look at verse 2. It says, he had two wives. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. How do you think that's going to go? One wife was called Hannah, and the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Okay, one man, two wives. Not a good combination. Verse 3, it says, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah... He gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. What a lovely woman Peninnah is. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah... Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? I want to stop right there. Um, a weird dynamic. I get it. I cannot imagine what Mother's Day was like in this household. Okay? This is a weird dynamic where you have this guy named Elkanah who's married to two women. Uh, he was married to Hannah and Penny Nah. Uh, I think I'll just call her Penny for the rest of our time because that's a complicated name. But Hannah and Penny, his two wives. And we learn in this story that they actually would travel to a town called Shiloh. Now, let me tell you why they did this. That was the place where the church was. Back in this time, they had this tabernacle. It wasn't the temple then. And it was the place that God kind of established was like their church. And they set it up in a place called Shiloh. Now, later when they built the temple, it moved to a different place. And so they were instructed that three times a year, based on their belief, their faith, they were to travel to the house of the Lord and they would bring sacrifice, animals to sacrifice to God. And a share of that they would bring to the priests. And so they went back at a particular festival and they're there to sacrifice and bring an animal. And so when it's their turn, their family, Elkanah with his two wives and kids, they would come up and, and they would provide animals for sacrifice. Now there's one particular uh, sacrifice or offering that this one refers to probably. It was the peace offering. Now they were all a little bit different. Now the peace offering, they would go and they would kill an animal. And then they would take parts of the animal out. And they would give it to the priest to offer as an offering on their behalf. And 
And part of this offering, the priests got to keep and eat themselves, okay? So they'd be like, oh, what do you like? Are you like the breast or you like the wings or you like, you know? And they would give some of it to the priest, okay? And then they would celebrate at the festival. And then the family, there was something about the sacrifice, it would be kind of holy, would then enjoy a meal with the rest of the sacrifice. So it was part of a celebration too. And so they would take the animal and then they would carve up and, and they would the, the, the father would divvy out portions. And so they said to Penny and all of their children, he would give enough so that, okay, you guys got enough food to eat and all this. But then he sees Hannah. And here's Hannah who is, she's uh, miserable because it's a constant reminder when she sees Penny, her sister wife, getting all this food for her kids that she gets just a little portion. And so her husband feels terrible for her so what does he do? He's like, oh, I'm going to just, he gives her a double portion because he feels really bad. Why? Because she, she's got this ache in her soul. She wants badly to be a mom and she can't become a mom. Okay. And here's what I found so ironic. It's called the peace offering. And, and she gets a double portion of the peace offering, but she can't even enjoy it because there's no peace in her soul. The, the, here's what I was thinking that, you know, a lot of times for us, this is, this is like us. If we, when there's something in our life that we don't have as a desire, there's, there, there's things that maybe even are good that God puts in us that don't get met. Here's what I found. We often try to do the same thing Elkanah does. We try to satisfy heavenly desires with earthly things. We take these things that could be good things and God things. Like, hey, listen, to be a mom, want to be a mom, that's a God desire. I believe God puts that in women. Okay? To, to want to be loved, that's a heavenly desire. God created you for love. To want to find meaning in this life, that is a heavenly desire. If you're just wondering, like, ah, what's my life about? The reason you feel that way is because God designed you for something. That's why you feel that way. To have a desire for relationship. To have a desire to get married one day. To have a desire to have a family one day. Can I just tell you, that's a heavenly desire. That's something that God puts in you. But listen to me. Whenever we try to satisfy heavenly desires with earthly things, it never works. You can never fill the void of a heavenly desire with earthly things. And what I found is that a lot of times we try to, but what we end up doing is just medicating our disappointment. When, when our prayers aren't answered, when we don't have the relationship, when we don't have the desires, you know what we tend to do is we medicate it. What, what do we do? We try to fill it with earthly things. When you can't get the job or the career or your work situation isn't going the way you want it to go, what do you do? I, I'm depressed. I'm disappointed. So then I turn to alcohol. When, when, when the relationship isn't working or when you don't have the relationship, the thing that you do desire and you don't have it, you turn to food. I'm just going to eat because I, I'm just depressed and I'm disappointed. When life kind of doesn't give you the things that you desire when your marriage is not what you thought it would be, when your marriage is not satisfying that thing that you thought it should or would satisfy inside of you, that's when people turn to something else like adultery or pornography. It's because what are we doing? We're trying to fill heavenly desires with earthly things, but it never works. 
And even in this situation with Hannah, here's Elkanah, and I get it, he's just nice, he's just trying, I'm just, I, I see her weeping and she's sad, and so I'm just, here, have some more meat, I'm just going to throw it on, but it never fully satisfies. By the way, I've also found out that you can have everything you need, but not what you desire. You can, you can have everything you need. I think, I'm looking right now at a room of people, I'm just going to say most, if not all of us, and even watching maybe, you've got everything you need. But when you don't have that one thing that you desire more than anything, it doesn't matter. You, you, you can have a marriage and still be lonely. You, you can have all the money in the world and still feel meaningless. And so there, there's something inside of us that's longing for more that we cannot find in this life. And Hannah is discovering that. And it's bringing massive disappointment. Here's Hannah who's, she, she's at the, the place where you offer the sacrifice. And, 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 and she's being reminded by her sister wife, Penny, who just loves to get under her skin and remind her constantly. I can only imagine when he's handing out portions of food and she's getting all this for her sons and her daughters. She's looking at, hey, Hannah, how much you get? Oh, that's it? You know, and just kind of just digging it in, you know. That's what's going on in this moment. And Elkanah, he, he I, I, God bless his heart. I, I think he's a really good dude. I think he's trying his best. His wife is a puddle of tears. She, she's weeping. She's a mess, okay. The, the problem isn't him. It's her, obviously, you know. She can't have kids. And, and, and so he tries his best to console her. And it's terrible, it's awful. Sometimes, guys, we just don't know what to say. Have you ever noticed, especially husbands, your wife's crying, and you don't know what to do, and so what do you do? You try to solve her problem, but she doesn't want you to solve her problem. She just wants to have a good cry. I've learned that from years and years of marriage, and yet I still get it wrong every time. What's wrong? I'll fix it. Do this. You know? And uh, yeah, I he says... Here's what he says. It's kind of dumb, actually. He says, why are you crying? Isn't it obvious? Stop crying. Eat some food. And then he says this. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? What do you need children for? You got me. Like, this is what he's saying. Can I just say, guys, this is stupid. Don't ever say something like this to your wife, okay? That's just dumb. Don't, all you need is me. So, no, it's not true, okay? Like, like I, I like to tell people, sometimes I hear people who are dating, um, they kind of make sentiments like that. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll just, you make me the happiest person in the world. Um, or sometimes you'll hear them throw out that really crappy Jerry Maguire stuff. It's like, you complete me. <laughs> no, you don't. Can I just tell you, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. You complete me. Can I, can I just tell you something? If they didn't create you, they can't complete you. Only God can complete you. And though he might put a desire in you for relationship with someone else, he also put within you a desire for relationship with him. And so there are desires and things that God has put inside of us that sometimes we cannot find to be satisfied in this life. And it only has to be from heaven and from God. And so... They're trying their best, and, and she, this happens every single time, just miserable, crying. In fact, in verse 9, I want, I want to show you as it goes on. It says, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up 
It says, now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost on the house of the house of the Lord. It says, in her deep anguish, notice what Hannah did. Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. I, I, I want to just consider for a moment what Hannah does with her disappointment. It says, in her deep anguish, her soul ache, her pain of disappointment, what does Hannah do? It says that Hannah, she goes to the house of the Lord and she prays. You know what I've discovered um, with disappointment? That there's two options for our pain and our disappointment. There's only two options. Either your pain or disappointment drives you to the Lord, either it drives you closer to God, either it causes you to press in and say, God, I need you, or it causes us to run away. We either lean into God in our pain and disappointment, or we pull away from God in our pain and disappointment. Can I ask you a question? What are you doing with your disappointment? Some of you might be here right now but maybe only because it's Mother's Day and you actually haven't been in church, or maybe you're here in body, but not really mentally and spiritually because of disappointment, you've kind of pulled away from God. Can, can I just encourage you that if you're in a place of disappointment, and we all have them, if you're in a place where you've got prayers that have gone unmet and you've got desires that have not been satisfied and things that you've wanted for a long time and you've maybe given up, can I just tell you this, I really believe that the greatest prayers that you'll ever pray are not these eloquent prayers of thanksgiving and praise to God when everything is good. It's not when you're thanking God around the meal on Thanksgiving when the whole family. Can I just say, I believe that our greatest prayers come from our darkest places. I really believe that. If you, could, if you can measure prayers in God's eyes, I believe that your greatest prayers and my greatest prayers actually come from our darkest places. In other words, I really believe that God loves honest prayers. I, I believe that God actually loves it when we in our ache and our pain and our disappointment actually come to him. And oh, by the way, I think he's big enough to handle it. I really think that God, like, that God would prefer a repentant prayer over a reverent prayer. Well, how do I know that? Because Jesus taught us about prayer and he taught us how God views prayer. And how God doesn't care about having a bunch of eloquent words. He just wants your heart. How God wants the authentic place wherever you are in. Even if it's filled with pain. Even if it's anger. Even if it's disappointment. Even if it's grief. That's what God wants. Jesus shared a story one time about prayer to talk about what prayer matters to God. He said there's two gods, two guys, and he's just, again, it's a parable story to illustrate. He says two guys go to the temple to pray, much like Hannah. One is a religious leader, and, and um, he, I mean, follows all the rules. I mean, he's like the pastor's pastor. He was, you know, the other guy is a tax collector. He's a, he's a, you know, he's the worst of the worst. He's a thief. He's a criminal. He's a traitor to the nation. He says the two of them go to church to pray. He says the religious leader, I mean, he's good at praying. Prays in front of people all the time, you know. He lifts his hands to the heavens. Oh, dear God, our great Father in heaven. Oh, I thank you. Just all these Thanksgiving comes out. I thank you that, that, that um, my life is so good. I thank you that I, I do right. And I, I thank you, God, that I'm so, I'm, I'm so much 
better than all the other awful sinners and tax collectors, you know. I just thank you, God, that I don't have a life like that. That was his prayer. And Jesus says there's, there's a tax collector who's over here, and he's, he's so filled with shame that he can't even lift his head. And he beats his chest. I think he's mad at himself. He says, God, have mercy on me. I, I'm a messed up sinner. And Jesus, he's looking at the crowd, and he said, which one of these do you think went home justified before God? Maybe God likes authentic even if we're in a bad place. Maybe God likes authentic even if you're in a dark place. Can I just tell you something? If you stop praying, if you stop going to God with your pain, your disappointment, can I just tell you something? God can handle it. He can handle your pain. He can handle your questions. He can handle your doubts. He can handle your disappointments. If you're, if you're discouraged, if you're upset, you're saying, God, I, I, I've been praying for this and nothing's happened. And I'm mad and I'm upset and I'm disappointed and I don't understand why. God would rather you bring that to him and be angry than to run away from him. And I think God actually, uh, I think God was moved by Hannah's prayer. In fact, we see a little bit of, of what she prayed next. In verse 11, it says, And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Here's what she said. This is interesting. I will give him back to you. I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor will ever be kept, used on his head. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, that was the priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart. Have you ever done that? Just, she, I mean, she's praying in her heart, not really out loud, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. He said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Stop drinking. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. I just want you to know this. God sees when you pray and he hears even if it doesn't come out of your mouth. It might just be thoughts in your heart. It might just be this is my struggle. And here she is. She's, she's praying in this moment. But it was actually verse 11 that caught my attention. It, it was like, I could, I, could, I could understand in one sense what Hannah was doing because I find myself doing this with God all the time too in my disappointment. She made a vow with God, here, here, a promise. I don't know if you ever made promises with God when you need him to do something for you. Basically, if you will give me a son, she said, I'll give him back to you. If you'll give me a child, I will, I, I won't, I will give him back to you. Now, I thought that was odd because... She wants to be a mom, but then she says, I'll give them back to you, and I won't actually get to be the mom. I want to be a mom. Now, you understand, in this culture, for a woman to have children, it, there was no greater honor. It's that thing that woman could do that a man can't do, the thing that God had given her specifically. That, and, and so in that culture, to be respected, so I understand that, but there was a desire in her to be a mom and, and she says, if I, if I do become a mom, God, you give me a child, I'll give them back, and then I can't actually be the, the, the kid's mom. I thought to myself, that's, that's strange. 
And I realize I, I, I try to make deals with God all the time too. You ever try to make a deal with God when you pray? You know, he hasn't answered your prayer, so you're like, okay, what can I give up? What can I go through? Um, can I tell you a prayer that I have prayed trying to, uh, trying to get God, like, to, I've made a pledge to God. If he would do this, then I will do this. Um, I have said numerous times, I don't do this all the time, but God, if you would help me get the winning lotto ticket, Anybody here ever prayed a prayer like that? I prayed specific prayers like that and had a lot of tickets. Freak you out. Uh, I said, I want to pay for this building one way or another. Come buy a ticket here and there. And I prayed, and, and I bet you prayed a prayer like this. God, if you will help me win, I will, I'll give 10%. Per, no, you know what, God? I'll give 20% to the church, which would be awesome, and I pray you do win. But I never seem to get the right numbers when it happens. I don't know why. Or I've, I've prayed before, I, I, and I've used this one before, but I've done this a, a lot. In fact, it happened to me not that long ago. Um, I uh, prayed, um, God, if you help me get out of this speeding ticket. <laughs> that happened to me not that long ago. Um, God did not answer my prayer. And... And yet there was something different about what Hannah did. See, Hannah prayed, uh, God, if you will give me a son, I'll give him back. See, that's, that would be like you or me praying, God, if, you, if I hit the lotto, I'll give away every single penny I get. See, some of you are thinking, well, what's the point? That's the point. I, I just wonder, and I, I, I can't, prove this because I don't understand. I just want to say this, and this might not be helpful to you. I don't understand why God answers some prayers and not others. I just, I can't explain it. I don't understand. Some very good prayers that are for good things that I've prayed for, he doesn't answer. I don't understand it. I just don't. But when I think about unanswered prayer, I can't help but wonder if Nothing else seems to expose the motive of our heart more than unanswered prayers. If you think about it, not much else truly exposes the condition of our heart than when God doesn't do the thing that we want him to do. And I think about how Hannah in this moment, she, she prayed a different kind of vow or prayer. She said, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back. This is me sacrificing can I tell you what I think she was doing? She was sacrificing her desire on the altar. God, the very thing that I want so badly that I can't have, that I'm constantly reminded of and my disappointment, if you give me a son, I'll give him back. I'm, I'm releasing it. And I couldn't help but wonder if maybe this particular time where she prays this vow and this prayer, if there was something in her heart that shifted or changed if there's something that changed the, the outcome, because by the way, if you read on verse 20, she goes home after praying this vow, and guess what happened? She got pregnant, and she gives birth to a son named Samuel. So, so God heard and answered her prayer, but I couldn't help but wonder if, if maybe God will sometimes use unanswered prayer in our life to expose the condition of our hearts, to say to us, 
do you really want God or do you want what God can do for you? Because that's where I've been convicted. Even good things that I want. Do you really want that because you want me or because you want what I can do for you, Tim? What, what do, you, do you love the giver or do you love the gift? What do you really love here? And sometimes I think God will use unanswered prayer in our life to actually expose the motive of our heart to maybe bring us to a place where we'll lay it down and surrender and say, God, even if you don't, I still trust you and I love you. I just wonder if maybe God will... Maybe, maybe God uses it to test us. Maybe he uses it. And you know what I found is that God will not only use unanswered prayer to test the motive of our heart, but I also believe God will use answered prayer to test the motive of our hearts. Because what will you do when you do get the thing you desire? That matters to God too. In fact, we know this because we, we see this reflected in the story of Abraham and Isaac. You know, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, much like Hannah, they wanted a child and they couldn't. Prayed and prayed and prayed. And then one day God promised them, you're going to have a son. And then it took 25 years for that promise to come to pass. And they finally have a child named Isaac. Abraham's 100. Sarah's 90. Okay, imagine that. And, and, uh, and then you look at this moment that when he starts to grow up and he becomes a boy, young man, Genesis 22, you, you could read that if you want this week. God speaks to Abraham one day. He appears to him in a vision, dream, and he says, I want you to take your son Isaac to a place that I'm going to show you, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. See, God never asked people before to kill their children. That was something the other cultures did. And God said, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son, the heir of your promise. I, I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham, okay, God, I guess... And so he takes his son Isaac and they travel and they go to this mountain and, and I, I don't, I, this kind of, this whole scene when you think about it just kind of is emotional. I think about how Abraham and Isaac are climbing up this mountain and they got a back, bunch of sticks on the back of Isaac's carrying all his sticks and he's got torch, fire. And Isaac looks at Abraham and he says, we have the sticks and the fire but where's the animal? And Abraham just looks at him and says, well God, God will provide and they get to the top of the mountain and he lays all the sticks out and then he grabs his son Isaac and he starts tying him up. His hands behind his back, tying him up. And imagine his son, Dad, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, son, you're, you're the sacrifice. What? Yeah. And he lays him on the altar and grabs his knife and he's about ready to, to do the thing that God asks. Would you sacrifice what was your greatest desire to me? And before he would ever kill him, an angel of the Lord appears and stops him. Now, God never intended for Abraham to kill his son. God would never do that. It was a test. You see, I find an unanswered prayer God may use to test our heart. But he also might answer that prayer and use that as a test of our heart as well. And he provided a ram, and God said, no, 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 don't do that. Use the ram. And that's where Abraham says, this, on this mountain he calls the Lord, this place, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide in that place. And what I'm trying to say is this, what, what I'm trying to speak to the desires that we all have that we don't see come to pass. Right now they're prayers. At some point they could be a child you hold in your hand. What I want us to see is this, 
we either build an idol or an altar out of our desires. We either build an idol or an altar out of our desires. It's one of the two. You see Hannah's story? What does she do? Before she has the child, she gives him back. By the way, just so you know the story, once he gets to a certain age where she weans him and all this stuff, she takes him to the church and she gives him up and then goes back home. Now listen, if you pray to prayer for a child and you get pregnant, we don't want them. You keep them. Okay, I'm just saying, we don't want them. That doesn't happen today. But back then, Samuel went and she, every, she could only see him every time they traveled back to the place to do the sacrifice. What did she do? She put up on the altar her desire. Here, here's what I found. Whether God answers or he doesn't answer, your desire will either be an altar or an idol. And most of the time when we think about idols, we think about money, stuff, status, popularity, relationships, things we have. Can I just tell you, your greatest idol might not be something you have. It might be something you want. It could be something I'm craving, I'm desiring, I'm praying for. God, will you do this? I can have an idol and make an idol out of anything, even a good thing. And I think something that God's been trying to teach me over this past year about some things in my life that I've been praying for, some things in ministry that I've been praying for, some things that I've been like, God, I need you. Where are you going to show up? There are some areas that God's been pressing into my life, and he's saying, will you offer that up to me? What do you mean, God? I mean, what if I never do that for you? Will you still love me and trust me just as much? And that's the moment when I realized the very thing that I want could be an idol in my life. Why am I saying all this? Because I really believe, and this is something God's teaching me, I'm walking through this. The key to finding peace is learning to release to God the thing that you want most. I know that's not easy. That's much easier for me to say than it is for us to do. But I'm going to tell you, I'm learning this. The key to finding peace in your life is to release to God the desire. I'm going to to release it. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to put it on the altar, God. Whether you do it or you don't do it, I'm going to surrender it to you. You see, that's when things begin to change. doesn't always mean he answers the prayer, but it could mean that he changes you, that he changes the desire in you. In fact, today I wanted to share a story with you. It's a powerful story of a mom from within our church. A mom who was dealt with some, some massive disappointment, and some real challenges that one of her son, that her son had to face. And it wasn't until she got to a place of being able to release him to God that she could experience a renewal in her faith for God. Take a look at this. My other two children were, I think, a year old and four years old um, when we got pregnant for Aiden. And at 15 weeks in the pregnancy, we decided to go to an ultrasound to find out the gender. It was there that we found out that something was wrong and they found multiple severe um, birth defects with him, mainly with his heart and spina bifida. They prepared us that he may not make it to birth and survive. If he does, he probably would only live a few days. So we went throughout that pregnancy. I really um, stayed strong in my faith during that time, you know, praying every day, you know, Lord, please just let us keep our baby, perform a miracle in his life that he is born 
you know, healthy and that the doctors don't know what they're talking about. But fast forward to his birth, he was born with um, the birth effects that they had told us. And, you know, they said it's, it's pretty bad. His heart doesn't look great. Um, he's also going to need a brain surgery and a spine surgery immediately following birth. Um, he may only live a few days. We, we just really don't know. It all depends on kind of Aiden. By the time Aiden was two years old, his body was really wearing down. They ended up um, putting a trach in, putting him on a ventilator to help him with his breathing just to give his body a break. It was started kind of during that time, when around the time he was two years old, that my faith really started to crumble. I just, watching my child suffer for the past two years, they couldn't tell us you know, what his future looked like. We just kept getting hit with bad news after bad news. Like, this is worst case we've ever seen. And after a while, you're, you're tired of hearing that. Like, we can't, this can't be the worst thing you've ever seen or heard. And I'm starting to kind of find myself getting angry with God. Why our family? Why us? Why my child? Why is my child having to suffer? Um, you know, and you aren't healing him or you're, it's just getting worse. So during that time was a pretty hard time with my faith. So around four years old, he had um, an emergency brain surgery. Went in, we thought everything was good. They sent us home a few days later. And on the way home, I noticed like, something's not right. I told my husband, I was in the back with Aiden and he was driving and I'm like, I think we need to get back to the hospital. Once we got back to the hospital, they did scans and immediately the neurosurgeon comes in and says, it's really bad. He has a severe brain hemorrhage. I don't even have time to get him to the OR. We need to get to the ICU and start surgery. And the surgeon, neurosurgeon, looks at me at that point and says, um, we don't have time to wait. I need to start the operation now. And at that point, they had only, they had gotten, I think, one IV in Aiden. They were pushing some pain meds, starting like the sedation meds, but he's a fighter and he was fighting sedation. Um, so they gave him a paralytic to paralyze him. And the surgeon says, I've got to go. So Aiden is still awake you know, and he starts the cut because they basically needed to get a drain tube into his brain as quickly as possible and start draining the blood off of his brain. I don't know the time frame because it's just so out of body, but um, I would say like maybe 10 minutes in, a tear starts rolling down Aiden's cheek because he's paralyzed. They still can't get him fully sedated. Um, and it was at that point, I was like, my son is suffering, a great suffering. Um, so I first told Aiden, I said, Aiden, you know, mommy loves you so, so much. And mommy and daddy fully support, just, just go run to Jesus right now. Like, you do not have to suffer. You do not have to do this and be strong for us. Just, I release you to Jesus and just go. And he was still hanging on. I'm watching his numbers and I'm like, okay, he's, you know, still hanging on with this. But like this little tear down his cheek. And at that point I got really angry at Jesus. I'm like, if you don't come get him right now, you know, like, you need to just take him. You, My son cannot suffer anymore like this. And I thought at that point, like, all faith was gone, you know? Like, I'm like, there is no God. There is no possible God that would allow this. Um, fast forward to the next morning. Um, I had woken up at like 8 a.m. and because um, there was some hustle and bustle in the room and Aiden was waking up. And I look over and he gives me the biggest smile. He's got this drain tube coming out of his head, draining blood from just went through the most horrific experience a human being can go through. And he is smiling, laughing, playing. And I just like hit my knees and was like, okay, Jesus, you are here. I feel you. And it was at that moment, my entire faith, I knew, okay, 
Jesus was there. He felt like he wasn't, but he was clearly holding Aiden, that Aiden stayed strong enough and stable enough to endure that and the next day be smiling. And it just transformed my faith of like, I feel like I gave him back to God. Like God, I was in such a desperate place as a mother to say, I love him, but I love him so much. I'm willing to suffer the rest of my life without him so that he can have peace. Um, and, and God said, you know, he, he's not done here. Here he is. So every day, you know, it's not guaranteed with Aiden. We don't know from um, even at this point, he's almost 10 years old. It's pretty much every day we have some sort of emergency in our home. Um, and we know tomorrow, tomorrow's never guaranteed for any of us. But for a family like ours, it's in your face more. Um, so with that, I go to bed every night crying, asking God, you know, can I have one more day? But I also wake up every morning thanking him. We made it through another night. It gives us a deeper faith and perspective of how precious life is, how faithful God is. Even in the little miracles, you know, some people are shocked when I say our life is a miracle with Aiden of like, but he didn't let him walk. He doesn't talk. He, you know, the things people think, and I'm like, no, it's those little miracles along the way of like, we had another day and guess what? He was pain free today. That is a miracle to us. That is a gift. Our joy and our hope in the Lord has just been everything. We have a different perspective now of like, Jesus is not, you know, Jesus is right here with you. The Lord is not done writing your story, Aiden. When, when Kayla was telling me this story the first time, I was just struck by the power of her willingness to release him and, and how that ended up changing her faith. The thing that she, she wanted him to surrender to God was the thing that opened the, opened the door for her faith and her trust in God. And I just wonder, I, I, I don't know, and I'm not trying to say that, hey, the moment you surrender your greatest desires to God, he's gonna grant them. But I, I can't help but wonder if maybe there's something in that process that God's waiting for us to surrender our desires to him. To say, I'm not going to make this an idol. This is not more important to me than you. But God, I, I place this on the altar. And, and I just want us to understand that, you know, your greatest form of worship is it's not a worship that comes from gratitude of all that you have it's not a praise that comes because God has been so good to you but the greatest form of worship you have is when it comes from a place where you you're in, in deep anguish and, and your soul is, is hurting and you've got disappointment that's, that's the greatest form of worship to God there's nothing that compares to it that's special to God and so I, maybe he wants us to lean into him in our pain and disappointment. And I also believe that when we do, and maybe we get to the point where we surrender to God and release to God the thing that we want so badly, it could be that that actually then opens the door for us to be in position for God to say, now I can give it to you. Now I can bless you because I know the place of your heart and I know it won't be an idol in your life. I think it's that way when it comes to money. In money in our life, God calls us to give them the first fruits, to give them the first 10%. Well, well, what if I don't have enough? God says, I know, but if you will give me the first, now it'll open up for me to bless you with the rest. 
The same is true with our time, with our Sabbath. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. That when we honor God with the first of our time and our worship to God, saying, I don't have enough time, God says, but now I can give you the thing that you really want. Now I can meet your deeper desires. I, I just, I want to have an opportunity for ministry for a moment. Would you all just stand to your feet? I just... verse that came to my mind that in Psalm 37 verse 4 it says if we take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart what, what does that mean I wonder if in my mind I wonder if that's like that's Hannah saying I give you my desire if you gave me a son I'd just give him right back to you if you take delight in the Lord in other words Maybe he wants us to become more in love with him than what he could actually do for us. He wants us to become more in love with him than any kind of miracle he could do for us. Maybe God's, when you learn to take the light in him, maybe that's when he will grant the desires of your heart. It, you can't twist it to be a little formula to figure out how to get God to give you. But when you surrender to God, those things, let me tell you what will happen. Either you'll see it or he'll change the desires of your heart so that it aligns with his will in your life. But I'm telling you that if you learn to fall in love with him, not just in what he can do for you, it begins to change things in your life. He'll change the desires of your heart. And so I, I want us to pray. I want us to ask if you bow your heads just for a moment. Uh, just a moment of prayer. Just here's what I felt like God told me to do. I felt like God told me that we're gonna have we're gonna make this moment into an altar. I don't know what your disappointments are. I don't know the desires that you've had that you've prayed for for years that have not come to pass. I don't know what it is, but God does. And you don't have to say it out loud for him to know. But what would it look like for you to make this moment right now an altar? I don't care if you're at home watching this anywhere. You can make this an altar moment where you say, I'm going to take my desire and I'm going to stick it on the altar today. I'm going to take the things I've been praying for and I'm just going to stick them on the altar today. The successes that I've been praying for, I'm putting them on the altar. My business, I'm putting it on the altar. My child, I'm putting it on the altar. My marriage, I'm putting it on the altar today. And I want to pray for you if that's you today. I think all of us have disappointments to do. Here's what I want to ask you to do is we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. But I, I want you as just a sign of maybe that thing that you want to surrender to God. Maybe you take your hands and you just turn them like this up to heaven just to, like you're holding it. This is, this is us coming to the tabernacle in Shiloh, bringing the altar with us today. Here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to be in any kind of building because the Spirit of God dwells in your temple. But right now, you're going to bring it to him. And Father, I pray right now for every disappointment represented in this room, watching right now online. I pray, God, for every uh, desire that we've had. I pray, God, for the things that I've had in the recesses of my heart that I, you know I've been praying for for a long time, God. Today, right now, right here, I stick it on the altar. Right now, just tell God that in that moment, right now, this you and God, I surrender it to you. Oh God, all the dreams, the wishes, the things I've had, I lay it on the altar. And I want to say today, God, that I love you and I worship you even if you never do this for me. Because, God, I want to be in love with you, not anything you can do for me. And so today I surrender it. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. 
If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.